You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Romans chapter 9, go to verse 22, we will refresh for a moment and look at that. Romans 9, 22. We'll, today we'll go through 29. There's a lot to really talk about. Uh, getting weeds a little bit probably today, but that's all right. Need to do that from time to time. So verse 22 uh, says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? This is where we ended Last time, so Paul, Paul's argument emphasizes that the only thing that's not fair or just is that God has acted in mercy. So to just to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, this is why. So how does God make his power known, right? And he says, by the judgment of sin, Sin provides a, a means for, for God to be glorified. So that's where we get this, this phrase, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So you have this thing that calls reprobation, or the reprobate that's uh, in, in the word, or in, in doctrine anyway. And it includes two acts. One is passing, passing by those who are not elected, leaving them in their natural state of alienation from God. And then two, the act of condemning on account of their sin, those who have been passed by. All right, so just have that for what we're going to see. So verse 23 says, And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Okay, so how how are people prepared for glory? Now earlier, all the way back in 3, Paul discussed the redemption that's in Christ and his role in undoing the work of Adam, which was in Romans 5. And so the mercy that's extended to Israel has now been extended to all nations, right? The nations that she considered to be vessels of destruction. So it's believing people from these other people groups, along with the believing Jews that have been rescued from exile and brought into this kingdom of God. And that's Colossians 1. So it says, even us, in verse 24, even us whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. So you have vessels of mercy are the us that Paul, that's Paul in the first century believed. So it, it is the us whom his, he has also called. And called would, takes us back to 8, uh, verse 30, which is believers 
are the called of all nations. So God's covenant promise finds its fulfillment not in Abraham's physical seed, we should know this by now, but in the called, the elect of all nations. So God extended his mercy in order to bring about the single covenant community that's made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles. All right, so we're going to have to back up. Remember, we're all this, this is stemming from this context as the potter and the clay, all right? And also, we also we had this example of Pharaoh as well that we, we went over. And it's usually assumed that the objects of wrath are just non-elect people, right? As represented by Pharaoh, Ishmael, Esau. But in the larger context of chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul's main concern is the Jews who have not come to Christ through the gospel. So the objects of his wrath, then, are the majority of the Israelite nation here in context. The patience with which God has, has borne reflects his desire for their repentance, right? So in, as long as they remain objects of his wrath through their refusal to repent and accept Christ, they are prepared for destruction. And that would echo Proverbs 16.4, that the Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. All right, so, but we have to wrap our heads around that the wicked are not necessarily just a static category. God's desire for them would be that they would turn and live. And one of the reasons that God bears with that wickedness or the wicked is even those whom he knows beforehand would not, will, will not repent is to the riches of his, to make, make the riches of his glory known. So it, it may be reasonably, uh, it may reasonably be asked how God's forbearance would accomplish this, right? Because we could understand how God's judgment accomplished this because by demonstrating to the objects of his mercy the righteous judgment from which they have been rescued. But that doesn't explain how God's forbearance for immediate judgment accomplishes this. But it simply exalts God's sovereignty and that, that majesty of his sovereignty. He doesn't need to panic or do something about the wicked. Their end is assured. We know this. Right? But it seems more reasonable to recognize that the objects of his mercy were, at one point, objects of his wrath. Right, That would include us. But we've escaped that wrath through repentance and faith. So for them and for us, God's riches of his glory are truly revealed. Because they recognize that it was only through God's forbearance during their former life of sin, of rebellion, of spiritual death, that they would receive any hope for salvation. So Paul becomes more explicit in his identification of these objects of his mercy. They are us whom he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So he's... He's coming back to his original theme. He's going back to uh, 
1 and 6, lending support to the ideal that he has never really departed from. That the offense to the Jews is that God is now openly calling people from among all the other nations, from uh, the Gentiles, as well as those from among the Jews who have accepted Christ in faith. And he supports his comments and he used, by Old Testament quotations. There's, he cites Hosea 2, 23 and 1, 10, uh, to the effect that those who were previously not included in that covenant nation will be included among those whom he calls my people now. And he cites Isaiah 10, 22 and 23, 1 and 9, to the effect that those who are saved among Israel were, would be a, a remnant. So to those Jews who counted on ethnicity, the adherence to the law for their inclusion among God's people, Paul is demonstrating from, from the actual Hebrew scriptures that they have that they, they had no reason to count that whatsoever. And he sums up his own argument uh, by saying that the, the Gentiles uh, who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. In what way? By faith. By faith, he says. So, Paul makes clear that this is the criteria. This is the issue. That Gentiles are coming to righteousness by faith. Right? So Israel, they pursued a law of righteousness, not by faith, but as if it were by works. So the, the issue is that Israel rejects faith as the defining characteristic of the covenant people. So in favor of continuing to trust in law. So God's gracious, gracious gift of salvation through faith in Christ is this stumbling stone, this hurdle, this block to all those who will not believe. But one who trusts in him will not be ashamed. And that's jumping ahead, but we'll get there. But I'm pointing all of this out, teasing this out, because if you go back to that corporate versus the individual views and the debate, right? Is, is this about a nation? Is it about individuals? And it should be obvious by now that it would make be a mistake to just focus on just one, all right? We should see how the two go together, since a nation is not a nation without individuals, and that it... That, it takes and applies with both. And it's the case when speaking of that, that term that you've, we're all familiar with, the remnant, right? There's this remnant that Jews and Gentiles are individual, as individuals, will come in by faith to be the new corporate body of Christ, the true Israel. So we must remember that God's promises they were never meant to be realized in the nation as a whole because they were always limited. They were to be true, all right? And they, they were to the true, those who had faith, but to the true Israel, spiritual Israel, children of the promise. But it's not as though the, the word of God has failed though, right? For they are not all Israel who descended from Israel in 6, 8, or 9, 6. So God's not bound by the physical descent or by flesh. He counts as children of promise whom he pleases. And God acts this way, it says in verse 11. So again, 
uh, hopefully not, but to further confuse you, that, <laughs> that while there is application, we must still continue to read this as an original audience would have read it. And that being the case, 9, 10, and 11 here deals with Israel, right? So to understand what Paul's saying, we need to realize there is a distinction between Jews and Israel. And when the Bible talks about Jews, we need to ask, who is it referring to? Okay, so you need a big Old Testament history lesson. And that the term Jews was first used in Babylonian captivity. And the Babylonians called them Jews because they were from the land of Judah. So at the time of writing the New Testament, during the Roman kingdom, there were only two tribes in the Palestinian area. There was Judea and Benjamin. And there were certain individuals from other tribes. But for the most part, it was only these two tribes. And it was only the, it was only the two tribes who were called Jews. So Israel became a nation at Mount Sinai when God gave them his law. They entered into this covenant with them and they were called the house of Israel, which referred to the 12 tribes, the nation Israel. And they, they re, the 12 tribes remained until after the death of Solomon. So then the house of Israel was split into two kingdoms. Ten northern tribes were known as the northern kingdom or house of Israel. The two southern tribes were known as southern kingdom or Judah. Both of these kingdoms, Israel and Judah, became harlots, it says, and forsook, forsook the Lord. So they were both immoral and, and ungodly, but God only divorced Israel because he could not divorce Judah because it was through Judah that the Messiah would come. Okay, So there is this mother and the and two daughters, and the, which is described in Ezekiel twenty three one through five, and the mother is the twelve tribe nation of Israel. The two da daughters are the southern kingdom, and these two these two kingdoms came out of Israel as the result of the two two wives and two marriages of Jacob. All right, so the capital city of Judah was Jerusalem, capital of uh, Israel was Samaria. God was their husband until this divorce decree, which we find in Hosea, okay? And a divorce requires that a wife receive the, the bill of divorce and then she be put out of the house. Sounds funny. <laughs> Sorry. So the, ho <laughs> the house in this context is the land of Palestine. The bill of divorce is the book of Hosea. And putting out of the house was taking Israel into the Assyrian captivity. Okay? Okay. Then the Lord said, Thus will the sons of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will banish them. In Ezekiel 4.13. Israel swallowed up. They're now among the nations like a vessel in which no one delights. Hosea 8.8. Israel is among the nations. She swallowed up. But God promises one day the two houses will be united. All right. And he says, uh, say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of uh, Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his, his companions, and I will put them with it. 
with the stick of Judah and, and make them one stick. They will be one in my hand. All right. The sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the, in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. This is Ezekiel 37, 19 through 22. You notice verse uh, 21 says, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations. Okay, so this is a promise of restoration. It's the same phrase we, we see in 9:24 that even us whom he also called not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles, as Romans 9.24. What Paul is saying here is that the called are from both Judah and Israel, that from among the nations is a reference not to, to Gentiles, but to Israel, the ten northern tribes. A lot of information. Okay. Verses 25 and 26. And he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Paul shows that Israel's calling from among the Gentiles was according to God's plan as revealed in Scripture. When Paul wanted to make a point, he just goes to Scripture, right? He goes to Scripture. You can't argue with God's Word. He, so he's quoting Hosea here, which is 2.23. So Israel's, uh, uh, Israel's relationship with God was to be severed, and uh, that, that quotation points this out. It's referring to Israel the ten northern tribes, Israel had broken the covenant, would experience these covenantal curses from Deuteronomy 28. So in Paul's context, to those who were once not God's people and were not beloved by him, he is now declared to, to be his people. He now calls them beloved. And in this way, God has exercised his right to show mercy on whom he will show mercy to which some will say includes the Gentiles, others will say to Israel only the remnant. But re restoration is seen in Hosea 1.11. So the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. They will, they will appoint themselves one leader. They'll go up from the land, um, and, and for, for, uh, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So Judah and Israel are gathered together, and they have one leader. The phrase, go up from the land, is equivalent to out to the nations that we have in 924. And Ezekiel gives the same promise as well. And here we see that God takes them from among the nations, which is the same phrase as in Romans. And Israel had been scattered among the nations, and they would be gathered out from the nations. <laughs> Verse 26, And it shall be that, that in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there, sh there they shall be called sons of the living God. So Paul quotes again from Hosea. 
Where, where was it said of them, you, you are not my people? They, they were not God's people. He had divorced them, right? But there would, would come a time uh, that they should be called sons of the living God. And this is the title that's in opposition of sons of idols or dead gods, right? They'll once again be called children of the living God. But, but of all these quotations were, that were originally addressed to Israel, the ten northern tribes originally, but Paul, then he quotes from Isaiah in verse 27, that Israel cries out concerning Israel, or Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. And that's where we have this remnant thing. He quotes Isaiah loudly testifying of the doctrine that he's declaring. We also see part of this quote and back again to Hosea 1.10, Isaiah 10.22. It's just so much old scripture here. And it testifies of the rejection of the body of the Jews and the election of a smaller number among them. It was never about this big, the whole nation, you know. <clears throat> so he's he's talking. It, it, it's Isaiah ten uh, twenty two. He says for for uh, for that. Sorry, for though your your people, O Israel, may be like the sand of the seeds, only a remnant within them will return. A destruction is determined, overflowing with righteousness. And he's talking about the Assyrian captivity, right? And Israel was captured by by them, and it was the ten northern tribes. Isaiah had prophesied uh, that, and that due to the Assyrian invasion, that that number would greatly be be reduced. And it was only a remnant that would return and come out of this. And remnant means that which is left. All right. So this the scripture demonstrates that God's promises do not pertain to the mass of Israel, to so like a whole nation include every single person in the census, right? But they're they're fulfilled in a remnant. Verse twenty eight: For the Lord will execute His word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And that's a quotation again from Isaiah ten twenty three. As the context of Isaiah's prophecy was that the apostasy of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel and the judgment of, of God through the Assyrians. But Paul uses it here as a warning to his fellow Jews at that time, at that day. Because God, he was going to judge Israel thoroughly and quickly, and there was only going to be a remnant left. And he's Paul's quoting Isaiah who talks about the Assyrian, uh, Assyrian invasion here, but he's using it as a reference of what is coming from the, the Roman Empire and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So Israel had this special relationship with the Lord. All right, And therefore, it, it also had this great responsibility. And God was going to save a little uh, of Israel from judgment. All right, and these are the, the Jewish Christians of the first century. In verse 29, And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of uh, Sabaoth had left to us a uh, posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. All right, now that, that word, posterity, it means seed. He changes remnant to seed, and it means the same thing. But a seed or a remnant will be saved from Judah, and a remnant will be saved from Israel, and these two will be brought together 
to form all Israel. And as a result of Israel's salvation, the Gentiles would also be called in. All right, so Paul in verse 29 quotes Isaiah 1 9. There's so many verses. So I know there's a lot of information today, but you have to, it's necessary at times. But it, all this shows that, that if God had not intervened in sovereign love and in mercy, they, they would all have become like Sodom and Gomorrah, it says. That God's election destroyed doesn't destroy anyone. It destroys none. It's, it's the sole reason that any were spared. Sodom and Gomorrah are pictures of total, complete destruction. It's a devastating judgment from, from which a tiny remnant will escape it is, is seen in the beginning as Lot and his family take off, right? That's a foretaste of the exodus. And then finally, the new exodus, which is only a remnant here, a seed escaping the destruction of Jerusalem as the true seed of, of Israel fled Jerusalem as their Lord told them to go to the hills of Judea. Right In Luke 21, 20 and 21, it says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city. This is Christ's words. And, um, and those who were alive and, and had faith in Christ, they paid attention and remembered Christ's words and they fled when the destruction came. And it was only the remnant, the true seed, that escaped, and the rest of Israel, they were made, like Sodom and Gomorrah, destroyed. And this verse clearly shows that being an Israelite was not enough to secure uh, an exemption from divine judgments or enjoyment of God's favor. And we should know that by now. But, but he draws from, Paul does, from Hosea and Isaiah as proof that God planned that not all Israel was going to be saved. And the only reason that anyone believes is because God has chosen them. So this, this, this little, that, those just five verses round off this first stage of this argument, and that's 9, 10, and 11, that, that God has said what he, uh, he said he would do, and that a remnant, not all of Israel, would be saved, and which... People will hear that and go, but he says all Israel will be saved later. So, and we'll get to that when we get to that, which will probably be like six months, but <laughs> we'll see. Okay. So a lot of information there, but I just, it, I, I really think it's necessary to, to have that, to lay this foundation, to understand what's going on in these chapters.